All right, Exodus chapter 32. So we've been going through the story of God bringing his people out of slavery. And the ultimate goal wasn't to put them into a promised land, even though he had promised to put them there. The ultimate goal wasn't to give them a a special city with a temple in it. The ultimate goal was to bring the people to himself, that ultimately that by faith they would have a relationship with God. And in the midst of that journey, they would see great things and that would even grow their faith. And so last time we talked about how right in the center of their camp, there was going to be this tent that was called a tabernacle, kind of like a mobile temple. And in that place, we looked last week about how they're beginning to put furniture in that. And, and, um, and the very central part had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And what it represented was a, almost a, a touch point of God's throne room, that it would represent what was the reality in heaven. Uh, but it was also saying that what was happening in that place, even though there would be sacrifices by bulls and goats, would not be good enough to cover the sins of the people. Rather, it was pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his pure blood that was shed for us, that all of our guilt then would be taken off of us and put onto Jesus and that he would take that blood into the most holy place and offer that before the Father and say, my blood has cleansed those people. And so we have the opportunity to be clean because of the blood that Jesus presents in the heavenlies, not because of any church building, temple building, tabernacle building. And so, but those Pieces of furniture were, were there. And while Moses is up on the mountain getting all these instructions for what to build, it was not only the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat that was there that goes on to describe all the curtains and what they were to do. They were going to embroider cherubim, pictures of cherubim on some of those things. And, and it began to talk about the lampstand. Then there was a table that had bread on it that would be changed out every week. And there was all these instructions. So Moses is up on the mountain getting all these instructions from the Lord about um, this, this thing that would be representative of, of the relationship that he really wanted with them through the blood that he would send through a Savior, Jesus Christ. Well... Moses was up there a long time. And today we find out what happens down with the people while he was up on the mountain. Let's read together. This comes from Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who will go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So obviously something is not good. (laughs) Moses is gone for a long time. While he's gone, these people begin to panic a little bit and say, Moses, the one who brought us up out of Egypt, who knows what happened to him? They're in the middle of the wilderness. He could be dead. We need something else. So uh, Aaron, here's what we want you to do. We want you to make for us gods. We want you to make for us gods because we want to follow them. They they will go before us. Now that right there should have been a warning because the covenant that they've already said, we will abide by this. Remember the Ten Commandments? The very first, you shall have no other God before you. 
The second, you shall make no graven images. You shall not have anything before you, nor should you take anything and fashion it into an image that you will follow straight away. They've already broken the first two commandments. And they tell Aaron, make us these gods. Aaron, at this point, being a good leader, should have just said, no, for the good of you and for what God has told us, I will not do what you have told me. I'm going to continue to lead you as a priest towards God. I'm going to represent him and his holiness to you. No. But the people are saying what they want. And Aaron gives in and says, okay, here's the plan. Take off all the gold that's in the ears of your wives and daughters and sons, everybody. Pile it in here. I'll do it for you. Now, think about this. The earrings and stuff that they would have had were probably not theirs much earlier than this, because God had said, when you leave Egypt, after you see me rescue you, I want you to go to all your Egyptian neighbors. I want you to ask for their jewelry. And in this way, you will plunder Egypt. So the things that they're taking out of their ears were probably Egyptian gold jewelry. They give it to Aaron and he begins to fashion this thing. And it looks like it's going to be beautiful. It ends up being this calf. A calf was very representative of the pagan religions that are around there. A calf in those religions illustrated fertility. People would worship it, thinking that it would give them better crops, better, more children. And they believed that that was where an essence of life was coming from, somehow orchestrated through this calf. Now, they're doing something interesting. In the midst of this, they don't say, make us a calf because we want to completely go after other gods. They say, make us this calf because we want it to be somehow a representative of our God. What they're doing is they're taking an idol and they're mixing it together with the worship of God. In fact, did you see what they did? They built an altar. And Aaron even says at the end of verse 5, tomorrow we shall have a feast to the Lord. So now they're taking things that are not of God, been commanded by God not to do, and they're trying to join it together with God and somehow thinking that he will be pleased with that. That will never work. Friends, taking something that God has said, I don't want you to be about this, and us taking that up and saying, yeah, but I'm doing it really well. And it looks really pretty. In fact, I fashioned it in gold for you. What's God going to do? Shrug and say, oh, well, okay, you tried hard. No, God says, that's not of me. That's, that's not what saved you. That's not what's cared for you day by day. That doesn't illustrate my presence at all. Don't do it. And yet people continue to try to merge things that aren't God with things that are God. And it gets us in a lot of trouble. It says in verse 6, look at what they do. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So in the midst of this, they don't even recognize it's bad. They're going completely off of feelings. Now we feel kind of safe. We've got this golden calf, and it's so good. We're going to wake up early and start this parting. In fact, the parting that's going on there and the, dan- uh, the way they would have been dancing, as it talks about later, is really reminiscent of the pagan cults and what they would do in the midst of their idolatry and idol worship. So now they're going off of feelings. They're going off of the world's ways. It's not a good situation. Now, consider this. While they're doing this, God is still up with Moses on the mountain giving him instruction for the way he wanted to be presented. And he's holding off on bringing a whole lot of uh, uh, judgment down on them yet. But verse 7, it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly 
out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give it to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry for defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses comes down the mountain with these things in his hand. It was the testimony. This was the contract. This was the covenant between God and the people. And as he comes down, he's presenting this covenant which would show them his grace and his mercy and set up for them an opportunity for them to really see who he is. And yet while Moses is away, he breaks it. So when Moses comes down, he's angry and he smashes those stones, which wasn't as much done for him just having a temper tantrum. In that day, when you would break those covenants, you were literally taking the stones that they're written on and breaking them, saying it's dissolved. It's been broken. It's like you going into a, a, a legal contract and then ripping it up. It's the same thing. So now the covenant is broken. What's to happen with these people? Moses ends up taking the calf. And as he burns it down and grinds it up and he goes and he casts it on the water and he makes the people to drink it. Gross. But it's an amazing illustration of what God is wanting to show these people in that if that is what you really want and then consume it, let me show you what that will do for you. Let me show you how good that calf is. You can't do anything. And so as they consume that calf, I want you to consider what happens to something that you consume. Literally. If you were to eat something right now, what's going to happen in eight hours? Maybe a little bit longer for some of you. You're going to dispose of it. Consider the fact that now, eight hours later or longer, as Israel is walking around the wilderness, they literally are going to be pooping out gold. That's just what it is. 
God was going to illustrate for them. You think that's going to help you, but in the end of the day, it's just excrement. It does not help you. It has no power for you. Look to me. That's nothing. And so now he turns to someone who's really responsible. He goes to Aaron. It says in verse 21, and Moses says to Aaron, what does people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, oh, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You, you know the people, but they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I, I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> so Aaron's like, I didn't have anything to do with these people. You know how evil they are. And, and when they went and they just kind of shoved their gold, I threw it in the fire and boop, out came this calf. I no. He completely blames other people, has excuses, tells lies. And yet he could have just said no. He could have just said, no, this is who God is. This is how he's told us to worship him. This is what he has done for us. No, he could have saved him all this trouble. But he lies. There's a period of time here where the Lord goes out and filters out some people. We're going to skip forward, though, to verse 30. Verse 30 says, the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses has this idea. I came down the mountain. I saw everybody sin. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up and I'm going to make things right. I'm going to make an atonement. I'm going to give something that's going to cover. Remember the atonement cover, the mercy seat? I'm going to go do something that's going to cover up your sin. I'll go make this right. And we need to pause at this moment and recognize there's nothing that Moses could have done. And we'll see that in a moment. But we also have to recognize that as we look at these people and we think that they're silly for making a golden calf and using it to worship God through because they think that that somehow harnessed power went before them and presented them in a better way before God. Before we laugh at them, we have to consider ourselves, don't we? Now, let's consider things that happen already in in um, in our world. There there are people still today that will take things that are called relics. Uh, for instance, they think that maybe it was a, a, a splintered piece of Jesus's cross, like somehow that there was preserved a piece of the wood. And so they carry this and they'll take it to a place and they'll enshrine it and they'll, they'll put it where people come and look at it. And somehow there's this continuing power that's kind of flowing from it. And so if you went there and you, 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 you did what you need to do, somehow there's, it's going to generate for you some type of special access to God or maybe a, even a more powerful prayer to God if you could just get close enough to the piece of wood that was part of the cross. Doesn't that sound silly? Could that, can that wood help? No. I think we would all agree that it wouldn't. And that happens all over the world with relics, and it happens all over the world. And I just, I wish we could come into our place and see if there's anything with God in our place that we would have, that we would think, that just has power. I wish I could just put my finger on it. I, w- I wish we could just look at maybe things around us and consider that there's things that sometimes we, we think that that thing has, has a special power to. I wish I could just put my finger on it. There's things that are tools. Gold was a tool. Gold was, God made gold. 
He had told them to plunder the Egyptians. And he had told them not to use things like that. And there's things that we take like furniture, a pulpit. Now, first of all, we're defining this thing wrong because if I'm to define pulpit, the, the true meaning of the word pulpit means a stage. That's what it means. And in fact, back in the 1600s, a pulpiteer was actually a contemptuous term people would use for professionals who were preaching. And yet, sometimes we refer to this as the, as the sacred desk. And we should pull it forward because maybe if, if you preach from the pulpit, there would be an extra power. There's something there that if, if you preach and maybe you, you pounded on it a few times, that would, that would send a little bit more of a vibe. That would, that would offer up an opportunity for somebody to maybe hear the word in a different way because you had the power of the pulpit. As a golden calf, my friends. Now, I'm not saying that this can't be useful. I'm not saying that the next pastor who comes and preaches here might not say, I like a pulpit, let me put it right here. But the power of preaching and the power of the word of God does not come from a piece of furniture just as much as the power and the presence and the majesty of God did not come through a golden calf. It's the exact same thing. And for some, you really struggle with that, what I just said right there. And for some of you, you might say, I don't have a problem with this thing. You might have a problem with something else. You know how many complaints I've had about not offering up an altar call? You didn't end the service in an altar call. Now, I understand that a lot of altar calls have been very powerful moments for some of you. There was a moment when somebody preached the gospel. Maybe it was from a pulpit. Maybe it was without a pulpit. And you, you came to the front, to the altar, which in fact in this, this auditorium, we don't have an actual altar. It's a couple stairs. But you came up here. And the Lord spoke to you there. And it was powerful because what he had done through the word with and changed your heart. And he, he, he had you to, to become a new man or a new woman. And now you're a Christian. And you're following him. And now you're tempted by something that could be just as disastrous as a golden calf. It's the place that I feel the closest, the most powerful with God is only when I'm at the stairs, only when I'm at the altar. That becomes a dangerous thing. It was a cold February night, the night I drove Katie into Seattle, up to this beautiful park that had an overview of, of the whole city. It was beautiful, but it was a cold, wet, rainy day, and yet it was a special day. We got out of the car, went to the overlook. Uh, she had no idea what was going on. I got down on my knee, and I asked her to marry me. It was most, one of the most amazing moments in my life, a special moment. I will never forget that moment and that place and that. It was awesome. Katie and I shared that moment. And wouldn't it be a tragedy if I thought the most powerful place I need to be with Katie, the only place where I can really connect with her to really have that relationship and presence with her is if we always go back to that park. Don't you think Katie longs to have my heart all the time? Don't you think she longs to have a great conversation or a powerful moment. And I'm not taken away from the moment of the proposal and what happened. That was a beautiful thing. 
But oh, the robbery of a relationship to say it must be contained. It has to be there. It's only powerful in a certain place at a certain time. And friends, I am saying this not it's not easy. I'm not saying this because I want to make enemies. I'm not saying this because I want it to be hard. I want to say this because God is much more powerful than our furniture. And he's much more powerful than stairs. If it was just stairs, we could go out to the stairs on the side of the building. You could go to the stairs at your work. If it was just about that, that's what it would be about. But God, does. he wants to meet you at the stairs, but he wants to meet you behind your steering wheel. He wants to meet you next to your bedside. He wants to meet you all over the place. Because God's intention wasn't that the power would be in the altar or that it would be in the pulpit, but that his spirit and his word and himself, that he would be enough for you. Is he enough for you? If he has said he is enough for you and you believe he is enough for you, there are going to be times when you come and pray in this place and he is going to work powerfully in that moment, but not because of the stairs. And there's going to be times that you hear a sermon with or without this pulpit. It's going to be powerful, but it's not because there was or was not a pulpit. I don't preach without it because I think it's more powerful. It's just not a tool that makes me as effective. That's okay. The Lord is so good that he doesn't want anything to rob you of that relationship of just having him. And it's all the time. He doesn't want it robbed. And if anything should get in the way of that, you know what he might do? Remove it. For some of you, it's not the altar and it's not this. Maybe... Maybe you actually have a special item. I know Christians, they don't, they don't have a piece of wood from the cross. They, they keep a special token rock or a coin that they think if they rub it in their pocket, that just gives me more power. Somehow God's given it. Don't do it. Nothing but God alone. And nothing can help us but God alone. And there's no person who can do it. And we should be praying with one another for sure, but I can't cover your sin and you can't cover mine. And Moses could not cover the Israelites. Let's see how this ends up with Moses. Verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin, and now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And then the Lord sent the plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Moses goes up the mountain, says, hey, forgive him. If you can't take me instead, I will be the sacrifice. And the Lord basically tells him, you're not good enough. We need something better to remove our sin. We need something better to atone for them and what they have done. We need something pure. And all this being a plan to bring about Jesus Christ, who in all of his purity took to the cross and he removed all of your sin and gunk and brought it upon himself. 
And it was such a powerful sacrifice in that place that that took place in the heavens. He presented his blood to God so that you would be covered. It wasn't by Moses and it wasn't by a pastor of yours. and It wasn't by your mama, or your granddaddy. It was Jesus. And the scripture says that the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. The good news of what Jesus did is the power for everyone who believes. It didn't say anything about the altar or the pulpit or anything else. And so that becomes difficult. It really does. Because it's not a popular preaching. Especially in these parts, right? Aaron got in trouble. Because he was doing things the way that the the people felt good about it. It made them happy. It gave them good feelings. And I want to read for you. The charge then to a leader, the charge to a preacher, to a pastor. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. I'm reading out of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. I want to actually start in verse 3. This is what it's saying about the end times. If we could look at verse 3 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. The Lord said at the end of time, what's going to happen is there's going to be collections of people and they say, this is what we want to hear. This is what we want to happen. This is what will make us feel good. So we'll get the guy, we'll get the gal who's going to tell us what we want to hear. Doesn't it sound familiar? Moses, this is what we want you to do. We want to worship God in this way. We need a God. Go make us a God. Okay. The Lord says in the last days, there are going to be groups of people. And in fact, he describes an apostate church as a prostitute saying they only want what they want. And it's going to look like this. They're going to bring teachers in to tell them what they want to hear. But I want you to read what Paul told Timothy just before he said that. He didn't tell him to get a calf. He didn't tell him to get a a pulpit. He didn't tell him to get an altar. This is what he told him in verse two of second Timothy chapter four. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Because God knows that the power comes through the gospel. It comes through his word. It's through his spirit. And so he told Timothy, preach the word. It's not always going to be what they want to hear, but you need to go reprove and rebuke with patience. Because I love them. Because I love my people, I don't want them to go off into things that actually don't hold power. I don't want them to be constrained by these things. I I will give them opportunities. I will use what I give them to show them myself, but it's not about those things. We see later on in Scripture that the Lord actually removed furniture later on when the people of israel get into idolatry it says that he had people like nebuchadnezzar in daniel chapter one it says nebuchadnezzar came in and god delivered over to him all the furniture of the house and that all that was taken away into the house of the foreign god why god was going to clear out the idolatrous sin because they only saw those then as idols to worship through god didn't care about the furniture he cared about their hearts Why do we preach the gospel? Why do we preach from the word? It's because of your hearts. He doesn't want us to get bogged down by things that 
aren't full of power. He wants you to have the true cleansing. He wants you to have a true relationship. He wants you to meet him at all times and in every way through Jesus. And that's why later on after Jesus died, the year 70 A.D., the Romans came in and they destroyed the temple. And the temple has never been rebuilt. The altar, the lampstand, the bread of the presence, it's all gone. You know where that temple is now? It's you. God says the temple is you, Christians. And anything that's in us that might look like idols, you know it is God's kindness to come in and to burn it up. And to say, you know what that leaves you with? The same thing that was left behind the Israelites after they drank that water. That's it. And so I want you to know that as I have not done altar calls before, that's been by choice. That's been part of the hard thing because I know what you want. I know the desires. But I see the fault of Aaron. And I see what Paul told Timothy, what was going to come at the end, to only do things that people want to hear. And it's hard to not preach a sermon and not want everybody to nod. But I'd rather come and give you the truth. I'd rather that and have you mad at me. But for you to see Jesus purely. And so as I've made those choices in the past, it's to try to pull us out of idolatry. Not to say that there's not a time for prayer in the front. There's not a time for a sermon from the pulpit. Say in all ways and in everything, it's Jesus. Don't get deterred from him. And so as we close today, I would just like us to stand where we're at. We're going to close in a word of prayer. And, and this is all I want you to do is there's a moment when Paul writes to Timothy and he's talking about the young men. He says, when they pray, I want you to have them do this. I want them to raise their hands in holy prayer. Just have them raise their hands in prayer. And today, maybe we don't do the altar call. The power is not in this, but I want, you to, I want you to have that moment with God where you're at. And maybe today that just means humbly you're, you're putting your hands before the Lord saying this. Or maybe it's just your finger kind of going up at your side saying, Lord, I'm right here. I'm desperate for you. And I know at times there's an opportunity when you come to the front and say, I love when somebody comes and prays with me. If you want somebody to pray for you right now, take that hand beside you and you hold it. And that person's going to be your prayer partner today and tomorrow and going forward. If you don't have somebody next to you, go find a deacon. They'll hold your hand. But let's pray to God. Let's be all about Jesus. It's just him. It's just him. Let's pray today. Father, as we close today, we recognize that it's easy for us as humans to get tossed this way and that way, even by our own desires, even by our own conventions. And yet, Lord, you've told us to only desire you and the things that you want. 
You clearly throughout the scriptures have showed us how easy it is for us to fall into idolatry and yet how pure it is to be as we just are in relationship with you. And so, Father, we pray for your presence. We pray for continued understanding and clarity and knowledge about Jesus and all that you have done through him because as we saw in 1 John Those that have seen him, heard him, touched him, told us about him so that through Jesus, then we might experience complete joy. Then we would know your fellowship and your presence. And so, God, today we call upon you for help. We do not seek that through any piece of furniture. We don't seek that through a golden calf. We don't seek that through any trinket in our pocket or a piece of wood from the cross. We seek it through Jesus, whom through alone, Lord, you have said you will listen to us. And so, Father, if there be a need of healing, Lord, today we call upon you for you to work powerfully. Today, Lord, if there be a need of of help in someone's heart because they're hurting, they're distressed, they're lonely, Lord, I pray that you would come and heal that heart. Lord, if there be today somebody who does not know you but is eternally lost at this point, Lord, I, I pray that they would call upon you for salvation, not because of Moses and not because of Grandma and not because of anything that they have done, but through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for them and given as a gift. We call out to you for help. We ask that you would continue to be with us. And as you've promised, you will never leave us or forsake us. And we hold fast to that promise because that will never be cast down and broken. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.